Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 and see you can't cling to what is good if you don't despise what is evil you cannot possibly think that you can hold on to something good if you're still in love with evil challenges us to check ourselves. Genuine love hates evil. Unhypocritical love will always hate evil. And evil is anything that is contrary to God's word or His will. When I see what's rolling out of like the entertainment industry, I wonder how can Christians sit there in front of the television or at a movie and not hate what's being seen? I thank God for the good movies and I thank God for the pure movies and I thank God for the movies that bring out faith and good and everything else. But I'm going to tell you right now, 90% of what's rolling out of the industries in Hollywood, how can we not hate that and despise it? And we should be weeping over it, not embracing it. Genuine love holds fast to what is good. The word literally means you're joined to it. You're joined to it. The same word is used in Acts chapter 8 of when Philip is brought to the Ethiopian eunuch in the chariot. He's reading the Scriptures. And Philip goes into the chariot to expound the Scriptures to him to tell him what he's reading in Isaiah. And so Acts 8.29 says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. Go over and join this chariot. In other words, when he got into the chariot, he joined with Philip in that chariot. What chariot are you riding today? What chariot are you, you riding in today? Are you joined to good or are you joined to evil? You have to ask yourself. This is a challenging verse for any of us when we begin to unfold what Scriptures say about good and evil. You see. Joined is so strong in that Greek language it literally you can translate it to be glued. To be glued to good. To be glued, literally, can't. It's like that gorilla glue, right? It's some of the strongest glue. Just ask the lady who, you know, she took that can and she thought it was hairspray. Did you read the article? She thought it was hairspray and it was gorilla glue and she sprayed it in her hair. And a surgeon offered to do it, you know, the work for free. So it was a four hour surgery to get all this stuff out. But she knows how strong gorilla glue is. That's what we do with good. That's what we do with good. We need to be glued to it. And you can't be glued to it if you don't despise evil, if you don't hate evil. We need to take this verse to heart because when it talks about abhorring what is evil and clinging to what is good, when it comes to love, we could be 
like blinded. When we love somebody, we tend to overlook a lot of stuff. You know, just ask a parent who's got a child, and we already know that when a child grows up with no discipline, that the consequences are disastrous usually. So we don't want to call them to the carpet because we don't want them to get angry at us. We don't want them to respond in the wrong way. So a parent could actually let them continue to do evil in their life, and they end up disastrous. The church is called to confront the evil. We're called as brothers and sisters to be able to address those things. We're called to confront the evil and point people to what means to cling to good. That's what we're called to do. We don't just overlook everything. And that's not just for the pastors. That's for you out there. We should be discipling people, which comes from the word discipline. We should be training people up. And part of that is showing them what is evil and showing them what is good. I thank God for the people in my life that showed me at the very beginning what was evil and what was good. Because when I first got saved, I thought certain things were okay. And I didn't see it. And people told me, no, 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 that no more. Genuine love treats other believers as family. Look at the first part of verse 10. Love one another with a brotherly affection. The first part of verse 10 there, there's two words that you should be familiar with because it highlights what Paul is really trying to say here. Philostorgos refers to devotion to somebody. That's why some of your translations will read, be devoted to one another. The other one is Philadelphia. This is speaking of a brotherly love. Like Philadelphia, the city, it's called the city of brotherly love. That comes from that word. But both of those words are familial terms. In the day of Paul, they spoke of blood, relationships, spoke of families. So like when we speak of others in the church, that's our family. Now, some of you are probably thinking, man, I, I grew up with brothers, man. When I would walk through the front door, they'd hit me with a shovel sometimes. You know, and, and my brothers, man, we used to smack each other around at times. We used to, you know, play pranks that were pretty serious and things like that on one another. And you could look at that and say, man, who would want that kind of love? But I've got to tell you something. My brothers and I were devoted to one another. We would go and die on a hill for one another. And that's what he's saying. You need to be devoted to those in the church like you're devoted to your own family, right? Think of your brothers and sisters that you're closest to and how devoted you are and how you would do everything or anything for them. We're supposed to be that kind of love in the church. When you look at somebody, that's not just another person. That is an actual brother and sister in Christ. That's why over and over again, the word in the New Testament is Delphoi. It meant for siblings. So that isn't just anybody sitting next to you. You may think it's a stranger, but they're closer to you than your own family. If your own family's unsaved and they're not going to heaven. Genuine love treats other believers like family. Genuine love places high value on others. Look at the second part of verse 10. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. This is important principle because we live in a me-centered world, but when we get saved, we go from me-centered to we-centered. And so it's no longer just about us, it's honoring others. It's not myself. 
It's honoring others. Think about that. How can you honor others that you know in the body of Christ? There's so many different ways that you can honor them, and that's what we're called to do. Paul said something similar in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. He said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now, is that not challenging? How many of us put that scripture in practice with ease? No, 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 it's hard because we were raised in a culture that you can do anything on your own and we've tended to use people, we've tended to use them for our own self-gain, we've used them for a ladder, we used them to get ahead, we used them to get money, we used them to get our way, but that no longer is that we honor people now. And this theology that Paul is bringing out is rooted in the theology of creation. That all of us were made in the image of God and that's to inspire us to honor other people. It doesn't matter where they came. They may have just come in off the street today. Battling with life's issues and we're supposed to honor them just like they were family. Just like we're honoring the Lord, we would do that. This theology is always rooted in that being image bearers. And we see in the book of James, where James talks about our tongues, right? That's a challenging scripture too, right? That's probably another one that should go with this. But in the book of James, he talks about how we use our tongues. He says in chapter 3, verses 9 to 10, with it we bless our Lord and Father, just like you were doing today. How many were singing today? We were singing to the Lord, right? And we're singing, we're blessing our Father. We're blessing. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness or the image of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. This, that's hypocritical love. That's hypocritical love when we come in and we sing to, in church and then we go out there and we begin to talk about others and gossip. And we're from a church, so we're going to spiritualize it. Oh, pray for Sister so-and-so, this is what's going on in her life. And then there's a 10-minute spiel on how short she's fallen with the Lord and how backslidden she is in that. But you never think to go after that person. You never think to go run them down and to bring them back into the fold. We're not to use our tongues like that. We're supposed to honor people with our tongues. Genuine love endures with those we minister to. Look at verses 11 and 12. It says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. At first, this appears these verses are pertaining to our relationship with the Lord. But you got to remember the context that this is in. And the verse right after it is dealing with the saints and contributing to the saints. But look at how this verse falls right there. Because you want to know the truth? One aspect of serving the Lord is serving others. We don't often think of that. When we say, I'm going to serve the Lord, that means like working in children's ministry. It means like volunteering for nursery. It means like, hey, I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible and study that. No, serving the Lord is serving others. Serving the Lord, and that's the context he's talking about when it says serve the Lord. And we serve others with that. And if you don't believe me, read Matthew 25 when it comes to the sheep and the goats. When at the end judgment, and he's got sheep on his left, he's got goats on his right, and he talks about all this, hey, you didn't feed me when I was hungry, you didn't give me water when I was thirsty, you didn't come visit me when I was sick, you didn't come visit me when I was in jail, and they're like, Lord, when did we see you? 
And so in verse 25, verse 45, it says, Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And then on the sheep, he says the same thing. You know, you fed, actually sheep come first. You fed, you clothed, you gave water, you visited the sick, you visited those in prison, in verse 40, and it says, and the king, why the king there? Because that's truly their king. doesn't say that in the other one, but it says the king because these are God's people. And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Because serving the Lord is serving others. And I believe that's why that passage sits there. And he says, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. This is good stuff because ministering to others, we can start to die down. We can start to peter out in the body of Christ. People can wear on you so much and you're serving them so much and they're taken out of you. That's why Jesus was always going to a place and getting prayed up. That's why he was always going You want to know how he maintained his zeal? He maintained his zeal because he maintained his relationship with his heavenly Father and he was filled with the Holy Spirit constantly. Man, people do, you know, they wear on you and before you know it, you're not serving anybody in the body of Christ. You're coming to church, you're hearing the word, you're singing, and then, man, you're out of here quickly. At one time, you were ministering to people. At one time you were praying for people. At one time you were helping the needs of people. But that zeal just kind of went out. And now when you see people, some of them make you angry. Because you're, you're like, oh no, here comes so-and-so again. They're going to want more money. I did that once and God taught me a lesson. This When we first started church, the secretary said, I saw the guy, he was a homeless guy, he walked on the side. And she said, this guy wants to talk to you, Pastor. And right away I thought, oh gosh, he's going to want money. That's what I thought. I'm going to be transparent. So I went, invited him into my office, and he said, Pastor, I just want to give this to you. And it was a dollar tithe for the church. So you got to guard your heart in those areas. And I believe the next verses tell you how to maintain your zeal for serving others as you're serving the Lord. It's like throwing a log on a fire to keep it burning. Look what he says. He says, rejoice in hope. Even though disappointment comes to us at times, and even though people fail that we pour our lives into, we hope. We rejoice in hope. It's not just the hope of the gospel in the sense that someday this is all going to pass and everybody's going to be what they're supposed to be in Christ. And there's not going to be the trials and the tribulations of this world where it feels like we're carrying other brothers and sisters in a war. We're pulling them off the minefield. We're bringing them into safety. And that's going to end one day. So we rejoice in that hope. But there's also the hope that we never give up on somebody. 1 Corinthians says this, Love bears all things, believes all things, and watch this, hopes all things. And endures all things. We've seen this in new creations before. We've seen guys come into the home and they failed and they failed multiple times. And it's like, man, but we keep hoping. We keep hoping that they're going to go from a hopeless doper to a dopeless hoper. We keep hoping. One guy just got married recently. He had failed multiple times in new creations and he finally got it right. He's serving the Lord now, and he just got married recently to a godly woman who's strong in the Lord. 
Because love hopes all things. Right? I rejoice in that. So he says, be patient in tribulation. This can mean having patience during hard times in general, but I think it's the patience towards others as we minister to them. When we minister to others, we always risk being betrayed, stabbed in the back, hurt, brokenhearted. It was C.S. Lewis who said, the only way to be sure to have your heart broken is to never give it to anyone. But we're called to give our hearts to one another. We, hey, the world of, you're not safe for me. You know, or I need this safe place or whatever. The church is the safe place. People here should be your safest people. You should be able to go to them and give them your heart. I've not ever been dissuaded. I've been betrayed. So have you. If you've been serving the Lord long enough, somebody did something to you. I can't tell you the amount of stuff that is said about me. That's why I hate always doing an interview with the Imperial Valley Press. And they called me again, and I'm a glutton for punishment, so I do an interview with them, and I don't even read the comments below anymore. Because I know what they're going to say. But, through all the betrayals, and through all the broken hearts, and through all the times I've trusted people, I'm still going to be patient with them. I still believe God is going to bring a crop out of them. And that's what we're called to do. This is going from me to we now. It's rejoicing in hope, but it's patient in tribulation, and it's being constant in prayer. Prayer keeps our relationship with the Lord hot, you guys. These three things that he speaks of is like a fire going out and you throw logs on the fire to keep it burning. Hope and patience and and prayer, those are things that keep us burning in the heart for others, especially when we're serving them. No matter how often people have failed us, this is the church, this is the body of Christ. And if there's any place that people should feel like family, that when they fail, we pick them up. When they get blown up on the minefield, we drag them in to fix them up once again. We say the church is a hospital, but when people come in, do they really see it as a hospital? Important stuff. If you don't have prayer life, then you'll never, ever endure through these things. Genuine love manifests in sharing with others in need. Verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And there's always people in need, right? In the church, in the early church, they were in need because of persecution. So if you came to Jesus Christ and you had a job, chances are you're going to lose your job in a Jewish culture. Because to say that Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one sent by God, is to bring trouble from the Jewish people. Even Paul had those that were on his tail and they were nipping at his heels all the time when he planted churches in other cities. They were always coming against him because they denied Jesus as a Savior. So if you got saved and you were working then boom, you could lose your job. If you got saved and you had a business, your doors would be closed because people wouldn't give you the business anymore. And so in the book of Acts, we see a church that was struggling. We see a church that was trying to survive. People lost their jobs. They lost their families. And then in Acts chapter 
4, verse 34 to 35, it says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Hospitality was needed for the early Christians, those in the church, because of the difficulty that they found themselves in by following Jesus. But hospitality was also needed in the early church because when you became a Christian, you started to remove yourself from the things of the world. They didn't have hotels or restaurants like they do today. You didn't just drive into a Holiday Inn and say, hey, I'm here for five nights. And, or restaurants where you pull into a Denny's. They had places that were called inns, I-N-N. And people would be traveling, they'd stay there for the night. And as they would stay there for the night, most of the inns were seedy. There could be prostitutes there. There could be this lure into temptation. There was alcohol, things that just were, man, I'm a Christian. I'm now turning down a different road. And there was also robbers there, people that knew when people pulled into an inn, there were some that would wait for them to leave, and then, then they would rob them, they would jump them. So inns back then were very different places than what you think of a hotel today. So Christians would be traveling, and people would just open up their houses. Other Christians would invite them in. And they would let them stay the night, and they didn't even know them. They never met them before in their life. They never had a relationship with them, but they were a follower of Jesus Christ, and that was good enough. Many of them had letters of recommendation, and they would just show them. And so they would let them in the house. They would sleep in their own bed, and they would feed them. So hospitality was so crucial back then, but it is today too. We need to, maybe, you know, we don't have a bunch of people showing up on our doorstep saying, hey, I need to stay the night with you. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I don't want to stay at the inn. We may not have that, but hospitality is just as important. Do you realize that our English word hospital comes from that? We need to be visiting the sick. We need to be opening up our homes to have Bible studies. We need to be opening up our homes and giving people desserts. If you do that, by the way, let me know, because I'll be over there. But we need to, right? Am I not right that, that hospitality? But see, this is hard. Because we only give when we want to. We only open up our house when we want to. Because we were raised in this me-centered culture. Now we're living in a different world altogether. Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. Especially those who are the household of faith. Can you think of a time when you've done something hospitable for somebody in the church? That's what I love about the life groups. Some widow has an issue with her car, and the life group jumps in. I mean, there's so much ministry that takes place on a hospitality level among life groups because they're just there doing life together. And people are able to practice that hospitality. People are able to practice that hospitality. That's why CCC started the ministry Do Likewise. When Jesus said, go and do likewise, ministering to the needs of others, it's those in the church, but those out of the church as well. Okay, the second thing, and I'm not going to spend as much time on this, but I'm going to hit some crucial areas that I think we need to see is genuine love towards those outside of the church in verses 14 to 21. Now look at me for just a minute. 
when we speak of those outside the church, there's those who are friendly towards us Christians. There's those outside the church, they're not believers. They would deny Jesus Christ as Savior, but they're friendly. Then there's others outside of the church that are downright enemies towards those in the church. Just because you're proclaiming Christ and just because you're following Jesus and your values are very different than the values of those that they hold. And on that level alone, they're going to come against people. They're going to come against Christ's servants. God is more concerned, like I said, of our response. At the end of this passage, it tells us, look at the last verse. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He's going to tell you how to do it. Here's how you overcome evil with good. Number one, you bless your persecutors. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse them. The Christian's faith is always going to be challenged in this area. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro. Or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977